It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder, pastor, North Shore Vineyard. Today on the podcast, we have a message from our Sunday morning service on May 16th. This is entitled Artificial Life. In this message, we look into Jesus' words on judging and how easy it is to confuse being judgmental for actually living real life. And just a note on the podcast, we start off with a rendition of Bob Dylan's song, With God on Our Side. So when you hear it, it's supposed to be there. And don't forget to check us out on the web at northshorevineyard.org for resources, readings, reflections, updated daily Monday through Friday to help you in your spiritual walk. Thanks for listening. Let's go to the talk. country I come from is called the Midwest. I was taught and brought up there, the laws to abide. And the land that I live in had God on its side. Oh, the history books tell it They tell it so well The cavalry's charged And the Indians fell The cavalry's charged And the Indians died Oh, the country was young With God on its side Oh, the First World War, boys It closed out its fate The reason for fighting I never got straight But I learned to accept it And accept it with pride For you don't count the dead When God's on your side When the second world war came It came to an end We forgave the Germans And then we were friends Though they murdered six million In the ovens they fried 
Well, the Germans now, too, have got on their side. I've learned to hate the Russians all through my whole life. If another war starts, it's them we must fight. To hate them and fear them, to run and to hide. And accept it all bravely, with God on my side. Oh, but now we got the weapons of chemical dust. If fire them, we're forced to, then fire them we must. One push of the button and a shot the worldwide. For you never ask questions when God's on your side. Many dark hours I've been thinking about this that Jesus Christ was betrayed by a kiss. But I can't think for you You'll have to decide Whether Judas Iscariot Had God on his side I actually did my first gig on the North Shore since I've been back in Abita Springs the other night. That was fun. Well, it's because I, I, I booked it like noon, Friday. I wasn't their first option. They didn't even know me, and they, they hired me. So, But I think they're going to have me back. So it was kind of like... A friend of a friend of a friend got a gig and couldn't make it, and then my friend of a friend couldn't make it, and then my friend couldn't make it, and so, hey, you want a gig? And so, I did, so. <laughs> that was good. Um, yeah, I'll try to, I'll try to get, get the word out there a little bit uh, quicker next time. Hey, today, um, our, our text for the day is, well, one of them, the first one is... I've got just too much stuff up here in this notebook. Luke 6. This is Jesus speaking. Starting in verse 37. Easy for you to say. Verse 37. Jesus says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. 
give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Verse 41, he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. You play actor. First, take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. God, help us to understand what you're saying here this morning. God, change us. Change us in our hearts, God. Give us new eyes to see. You know, I threatened a few weeks ago to... uh, talk about money at some point, and, and we will talk about it. Did I just introduce another hum to the system? Okay, let me, let me try turning this off. There we go, okay. <laughs> I, I threatened a couple of weeks ago that at some point we're going to talk about money and, and stewardship and what that looks like in the life of Christians, and um, I'm not going to do that today, but one of the most famous chat verses that I've heard, you know, particularly in my early years as a Christian, I, I, I attended some churches that uh, they would you know, spend, you know, what I usually spend talking in my regular message, they would do that in the, in the offering message, <laughs> and they would have, 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 have an offering message of like 20, 30 minutes before they got to the main message, and, and they would quite commonly use this little verse that says, give, and it will be given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken, together, running over. Um, while there is certainly a principle in here of, of, of kind of sowing and reaping, Understand that when Jesus is talking here, he's not talking about money specifically. What's he talking about? Judgment. And so he's saying that, that, that as we judge other people, our, our orientation towards other people is, is going to be kind of how we live our life. It's, it's going to be what we receive. And so there, there's kind of the approach um, from Jesus' perspective, which is marked by open hands, an open heart, forgiveness, giving, generosity, then there's a perspective uh, that's opposed to God's kingdom, which is marked by being judgmental, being critical, uh, saying, God's on my side. <laughs> so, you know, everybody who's not on my side is, 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 is in, in trouble. Now, I want to I look back earlier on in, in the Old Testament, back to Genesis 3. Um, and then we'll come back to the words of Jesus here in a minute. Genesis 3 is, is kind of the fundamental chapter that talks about the fall of mankind, how, how, how we got in this kind of screwed up situation as people, and, and how our world kind of came under the curse. And just to set it up here, God has created the world, everything is beautiful. Man is, and, and woman are in perfect relationship with one another, they're in perfect relationship with God, and they're fulfilling their purpose to, to basically be stewards of everything that God's made. So you know, a lot of people kind of think of Genesis in a sense of like they were just like hanging around naked in a garden and everything was cool. But they actually had they were hanging around naked and they had some things to do uh, to, to look over creation. <laughs> Sounds bizarre. Um, but they were actually given the the job to take care of creation, the animals, the, the garden. They, they actually had work to do. Now, God being a God of free will. Uh, you know, he created beings that could love him back. Now, if, if God didn't create an opportunity for us to, to not 
reciprocate his love, then he would have just made us into robots, right? I actually heard a, a weird thing. I saw, I was watching, uh, I think it was Colbert Report a, a while back, and they had a, uh, a guy on there who wrote a book about how humans, they're predicting in the next 30 or 40 years, humans will love robots, like, like be in relationship with robots. <laughs> kind of weird. Like, like, like robotic technology will get to the point where, you know, you can have another being that looks like a human, but it's a robot. But is that ever going to really be love? I mean, if, if you just create a robot, is that going to, I mean, you can program that love, that, that robot to, to say things nice to you, but would that really be love? Would, would you feel love in the classical sense? No, because there's not the opportunity to do different. So God creates this perfect creation, but in the midst of it, he puts one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, if you eat of this, you'll die. And that's what I want to look at this. Uh, verse 1 of Genesis 3, the serpent was clever, more clever than any of the wild animals God had made. And he spoke to the woman, do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. It's, it's only about the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, don't eat from it. Don't even touch it or you'll die. The serpent told the woman, you won't die. God knows the moment that you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging all the way from good to evil. The first temptation uh, of, of mankind was a temptation to not believe God is good and then a temptation to be God, to be God. It, it's, it's the temptation. And, you know, it started that way in the garden, and it's not any different these days. You know, people want to be God. We don't want to be under God's rule. We want to be God. And the woman saw that the tree looked like good eating and realized what she would get out of it. She'd know everything. And she took and ate the fruit and then gave some to her husband, who was right there, and he ate it. And immediately, the two of them seeing what was really, did see what was really going on. They saw themselves naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and makeshift clothes for themselves. And when they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden, hid from God. So God called to man, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the trees that I told you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you gave me as a companion, she gave me fruit from the tree. And yes, I ate it. And God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This kind of reminds me, Ezra, a few months ago, I know you probably think that, you know, we're just perfect parents probably, you know. Um, Ezra comes home, and it seems like when Ezra gets on a binge of breaking the Ten Commandments, he likes to go for three or four of them at once. You know, like, it, it's usually, it's not just lying. It's usually lying and stealing and, and, and you know, and, and I forgot what exactly it was. But, but the telltale sign was he gets home from school, and he's like, I'm tired. I think I'm going to go take a nap. And he's got this little tent in his room. So he went and immediately laid down in his tent. And, uh, of course, he didn't know that his teacher had already called us beforehand and said, you know, Ezra kind of didn't, you know, he, he faked that you had signed his paper and said you threw it away and, uh, and this and that. And uh, we're like, wow, okay, he's, he's, uh, he's really um, done that. So Ezra comes home. I know where he is, and I know what he's done. But what do I do? Ezra. Where are you? 
Uh, I'm in my tent. I'm just tired. I'm tired, Dad. You know, rough day at school. (laughs) And so this is kind of the scene of, of God walking in the garden that day. God knew where Adam and Eve were, but he needed them to acknowledge where they were. He needed them to come to the light. He needed them to fess up. He needed them to encounter him. And what do we see immediately after eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What do they know? They know good and evil now. But all of a sudden, they don't know the truth. They know good and evil, but now they're estranged from the truth. They, they can't really see reality the way it is. And what do they start doing? They start pointing the finger. God, you know, Adam, why'd you eat this? Well, God, this woman you gave, you know, to help me out in life, she's the one who, she offered me poison fruit. Crazy. And then, she, then Adam, you know, God asks Eve, why did you eat it? Well, the serpent, you know, I mean, part of the creation you told us to watch over. He deceived me. Immediately, we see the blame game going on. Well, it's the woman's fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. Blame shifting. And we see shame, too, don't we? We see a condition immediately that, that people are ashamed and they're pointing the finger at other people. And we see this all through the history of mankind uh, up to the present day. See, the tree of knowledge, when, when man ate of that, when our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents ate of it, which I actually saw a, a, a documentary on uh, National Geographic the other day. They're doing genetic testing, and they've realized that uh, they've confirmed by science that all men have come from one man, which I thought was kind of cool. Anyway, I'm not going to preach on that, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> But we have a corruption within our genes. Immediately when they ate of that, human beings came something less. They, they mutated into something they weren't intended to be. And they've passed this genetic propensity towards or predisposition towards judging. It's come all the way down to every human being that's come since Adam, which would be all of the human beings. You know, some people have a genetic predisposition to heart disease you've heard that before right well we have a predisposition towards judging you know if you go to an alcoholics anonymous meeting how do they start it a guy will come up and he'll say hi my name's joe and what do they say hi joe welcome welcome joe i'm 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 an alcoholic well i'm crispin i'm a judgeaholic you're supposed to say welcome crispin thank you let's try that again hi i'm crispin i'm a judgeaholic (laughs) <laughs> you know judgment it's it's really as much as alcohol can be an addiction or drugs judgment is like an addiction and you know what we all suffer from it and i'm not judging you for that <laughs> but we all suffer from it we are all addicted to being judgmental aren't we it comes natural and you know what just like alcohol or drugs judging makes us feel alive doesn't it You know, when you do drugs, you do drugs not just because it's going to ruin your life, right? You do drugs because it feels good. It feels good, at least at first. It gets you high. But you ever been high on judgment before? You ever been high on that? Oh, that's that's a good high. It's a good high when you start judging people. How's it start? Well, it can start by turning on CNBC or Fox News or listening to somebody on the radio 
whether it's Rush Limbaugh or, 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 or one of the local talk show hosts, or maybe it's just an email that you receive that's saying, oh, did you hear about this thing or that thing? It usually connects with something that we're passionate about, whether it's the economy or abortion or immigration. But boy, they start stirring that thing up. You start hearing what they're saying. You're like, oh, yeah, man, them Mexicans, them Republicans, them Democrats. Mm." And, And before you know it, you start feeling high on it. You're like, oh, and then before you know it, you're saying God's on our side and he's not on your side. He's not on the side of the Republicans or the abortionists or the Democrats or, or pick, you know, Mexicans, whatever. He's not on your side. He's on our side. And we've taken the moral high ground. And now we're looking down our nose at everybody else. And it feels good when God is on your side, doesn't it? It feels like a high, like anything else. And we're addicted to that. We're addicted. And you know what? It, it goes back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We have confused judgment with life. We've confused, you know, making moral judgments about all these things. We've confused that with life itself. And what, what really happens is that judging has given us the illusion of living. It's created an illusion of life. But it's kept us from truly seeing ourselves or others. Back to the words of Jesus again. What did Jesus say? He says, don't try to take the, the, the speck out of somebody else's eye when you've got a big two-by-four two embedded in your eye socket. Don't, I mean, how, think of how, you know, the picture that Jesus has given us. Think, think of how crazy it would look. You're trying to take a speck out of somebody else's eye, and you've got this big old thing sticking in your head. How are you going to do that? You'd be, like, knocking them in the head. <laughs> we get that for you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> And Jesus is saying that's what judgment is. We, we think we have the answers. We think we see other people clearly. Like, I know what you need. But I don't know what you need. Because I got this big old thing in my head. I can't really see you. I can't even see myself. We need, we need eye surgery. We need someone to remove this. I want to share a story of my own eye surgery. My own uh, plank removal surgery, so to speak. Um, a few years ago, it was about 10 years ago, Dina had, it was right after, about a year after Tevia had been born, we went through a period of about a year where we had two miscarriages in, in the course of a year. And, you know, it's kind of like Faith, you know, she shared about her miscarriage last week, and you have a miscarriage, it's, it's, it's bad. You have two of them, though, and it's like you start thinking, man, did, is, is God angry at me? Did I not eat enough vitamins? You know, <laughs> and then you go online to, to find out why you're having miscarriages, and, and that's always comforting because online they'll, they'll give you all kind of reasons. And so after this miscarriage, Dina decided that she, she wanted to just, you know, get away, do a little retreat. So she went to this retreat center over in West Louisiana, and she was just going to, you know, take a few days to just kind of get quiet, pray, maybe get somebody to, to, to pray for, and just spend some time with God. And so Dina went there, and that night she, she decided, she sat down with the lady that ran the retreat center, and the, and the lady was, you know, she was hoping the lady was going to pray for her, give her some counsel, and so 
Dina begins to to share how, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm here because I had a miscarriage. Actually, this was my second one. I was really tore up. And, and Dina was expecting at that point that the lady was going to go, oh, that's okay. Well, let me pray for you, you know. Let me, let me help you out. Instead, the woman said, well, your body was created to carry babies. So if you're not carrying babies, then there's obviously some sin in your life. You brought this on yourself, basically. It's your fault. Dina called me that night just crying. She was just like, is it, is it true? Is, is this right? And I tell you, it, it, was, it was good that this, you know, the retreat center was about two and a half hours away, and it was the middle of the night. Because <laughs> had I been in per- person, I, I'm not sure what I would have done. I, I'd never been that mad at another Christian before. I'm like, how can you do that? I mean, she's trying to be here to be healed up, to encounter God, and you just beat her down just give her guilt and all this stuff i mean she she was already struggling with guilt did i do something wrong oh yeah you killed those babies it's your faults if you were living for god if you were living after him everything would have been okay so you know a lot of people try to process things by journaling journaling you know dina's a big journaler and uh i don't journal i i write songs and I wrote a song. I won't share it today, but it, it, it's, a, it, it's not a real happy song in the beginning um, <laughs> about the process that God began walking me through. And really, it started out about being about this woman, but ultimately it ended up in eye surgery for me. See, at first I started out just being really angry at God. I said, God, I can't believe another person who calls himself a Christian could do this. It's, I just, this is just insane. How could somebody else make that judgment, do that to my wife? And God said, yeah, it is bad. It's, it, it, it's rough. He said, but let's, let's look at the tapes of your life. Let's, let's, uh, let's play back some video from the past couple of years. At that point, I was living in Hammond, and I was a, a, a campus pastor. And God said, you know what you hate about this woman? Let, let's look at you for a second. Oh. I don't want to see those tapes, God. <laughs> God began to, to, to remind me of how many boneheaded things I'd said to other people. Christians who were having trouble in their finances, and I'm just like, oh, pff, it's just not because you're, you know, it's just because you're not giving enough. People who were sick, oh, you're not living right. All the times that I would get in fights with my professors as a freshman in college. I loved, like, getting in fights over whatever I could, you know. Evolution with my biology professor. I get in a fight over atheism with my philosophy professor. There was one time where they got a, one of the campus groups got a, a, a special guest speaker in to talk about safe sex. Not the abstinence form. So we got a bunch of Christians and we went out there and we boycotted. And you know what? We would walk back from those things thinking, man, you know, we didn't make any converts, by the way. <laughs> not, like we, not like we won anybody over to our side. But we'd come back feeling good. Especially if people hated us. It's like, oh, man, we were persecuted for Jesus. No, we were persecuted for being jerks. Arrogant Jerks. I can't really say what, what I really was because I actually said that in a message in Kenner one time and I got, I got in trouble. <laughs> but I was a jerk. I was an arrogant jerk to people. 
It had nothing to do with the love of God. It had everything to do with thinking God was on my side and God had called me to be, you know, the, the policeman, the moral police of, of the world. God began to show me these things and all of a sudden I went from anger at this woman to, oh, man, no, God. I began to re- realize that I'm that woman. I, I'm doing the exact same thing. And I began to realize that, you know, how many people had I kept from God? How many keep people had I kept from actually encountering the presence of God because I was such a jerk? How many people might have responded to God had I not been such an arrogant jerk? So when God began to show me this, it, it began to change things a little bit. I, I, I began to realize when Jesus, you know, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, what did he say? He said, forgive them, Father. They don't even get what they're doing. They don't understand. I began to realize that in spite of me being a jerk, God actually loved me as a jerk. He loved me in my arrogance. He loved me in, in all of that. He, he forgave me. I didn't even know what I was doing. And, and, and I was able to get to a process of just saying, this woman, she was sincere. I mean, she, she sincerely thought she was helping God by what she did to my life, wife. <laughs> But I could forgive her. God, she, she, didn't, she didn't even know what she's doing. What's more than that is it began to change the way that I related to people. Because all of a sudden, when you get to see yourself for who you really are, when you get some of these moments of self-awareness, because we all think we're a lot better off than we actually are. <laughs> I guarantee you. When you actually get to see your own bad motives on the inside, how much pride and arrogance and fear and insecurity there is on the inside, and you encounter the love of God there, it changes the way you relate to other people. And I realized that God loved me in all my pride, all my arrogance, all my fear. He loved me. And I began to to walk down a path where I could have compassion on people. It changed the way that I lived my Christian life. See, the truth is, judging, it feels like life, but it's artificial life. It feels like we're alive. And there's tons of Christians in this country who love. I, I mean, it, just, it just aggravates me to no end. Every time there's a national disaster, somebody comes on TV with Haiti. Oh, well, pfft. 200,000 Haitians got killed because they made a, you know, their country made a pact with the devil 100 years ago. God did this. God was judging them. September 11th. Oh, God's judging America. He caused four planes to, to crash into these things because God hates Americans. And, 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 and we need to. Or when Katrina happened. Anybody remember that? You know, I remember the, the, the day before Katrina hit. Uh, a friend of mine had, had flown into town, and he needed a ride out because nobody could get into the city uh, on that Sunday. And so we took him up, up uh, you know, about an hour and a half north to his house. And uh, we get there, and, and this was before Katrina hit. And his wife said, made the comment, just off the cuff, she said, well, it looks like New Orleans is finally going to get what it deserves. <laughs> I'm like, hello? Uh, you realize me and Dina live there? <laughs> like, it was just so easy for her to say that. You know, like, it looks like New Orleans is finally going to get the judgment it's got coming to it. 
And then a lot of people said as soon as it happened, they said that exact same thing. It's just like God wasn't a very good shot. He missed the French Quarter. We're so quick to try to explain things in light of good or evil. And we're the good guys. And they got what was coming to them. Dude, none of us are getting what's coming to us because of Jesus. None of us. None of us. So how can we, how can we point the finger? How can we pretend to know the reasons behind these things? The last thing on your outline, I put checking for vital signs. How can you tell if the life you live is real life or artificial life? How can you tell if you have a problem with judgment? Well, you can judge without being judgmental. You can confront people in humility. See, when when you're in that, that judging zone, when you got this big plank embedded in your head, you know what it's always going to be? Those guys over there. They're the problem. You're the problem. And there's a distance there. When God began to deal with me, you know what? Now, I mean, I've always got the op- option open to judging, and I still do it sometimes, okay? I'm not saying I'm cured. <laughs> I'm a recovering judgeaholic. <laughs> but, but now... Instead of just pointing my finger at somebody from far off, I've had to confront several people in the last few years. But you know what I do? I meet with them. I look them in the eye. And now it's out of love. It's not out of arrogance. It's saying, man, look, I see where you're going. I see the path that you're on. And I don't want you to keep taking that road. I want you to get back on the track here. See, one, one way you can know whether you're in judgment or not is, is it hurts a lot. If it feels good to confront somebody, don't do it. <laughs> if it feels like, oh, I, got, I just got to go give this person a piece of my mind, tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you're really going to confront somebody in love and truth and grace, it, it's going to hurt you to do it. It's going to be hard. You won't walk away feeling like, oh, I just told them. You'll walk away going, God, I hope your mercy can happen. The second thing is the question is not as as Bob Dylan phrased it earlier in the song I shared the question is not whether God is on our side now the question becomes am I on God's side? Boy, how many times do we do that? God is on the side of the Republicans. No, he's on the side of the Democrats. No, he's on the side of the Israelis. No, he's on the side of the Palestinians. He's on the side of the Americans. Whatever. We we love Picking whose side God is on. God's not on any of their sides. God's on his side. And his concern is that his kingdom comes. And we can get with that plan or we can keep saying, you know, we can keep forming our little groups and and pretending like God's on our side. The question is, am I on God's side? Am I on God's side in this? And finally, the thing that, that Jesus said here, you know, he said in, in these verses, he says, Judge not, or you'll be judged. Condemn not, and you'll, you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it'll come back to you. I think one way we can begin telling, if we're living from judgment or if we're living from the life of God, is we begin having open hands. We, we begin being generous. We begin being forgiving. You know, if you've got judgment in your life, if you're living from that place, dude, you're not going to be a forgiving person. You're going to be stingy. 
You're going to be greedy. You're going to be holding on to everything you have, protecting it. Because God's on your side and you have to protect it. You have to protect everything God's given you. When you're living from the life and the love of Jesus Christ, it'll be a place of open hands, open heart. You'll be able to forgive and to give to other people. So, anybody else have a problem with that? Am I the only recovering judge of in here? We probably need to start a support group for us. 12-step program. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's very easy to use the, the, the analogy of addiction because if you talk to somebody who's been through the 12 steps, what do they do in a 12-step program? They're, they're confronting the junk on the inside. Because the, the, the tendency when, when you're addicted to something is to, to make it all about the addiction. Really, there's things in your life that feed that addiction, that, that, that make you, you know, that, that keep causing you to, to reach out to that stuff. One thing that I want to challenge us here at the North Shore Vineyard is to let God into those places within. That you could say, God, I want you to show me the tapes. <laughs> I want you to show me that, you know, forget about this person out here, this person, or this cause, or that. You show me where I have offended you, where I've done wrong, where I've pointed the finger, where I've alienated people, and change me. Do eye surgery. Do heart surgery. Let me see how things really are. Why don't you all stand with me?